covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went up into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount, and Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. Skipping over now to Exodus chapter 32, just one verse of Scripture there. Chapter 32, verse 1 of Exodus, it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed, we don't like being delayed much, do we? We don't like waiting and having our desires put on hold for very long. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. I want to talk to you for a little while today, Grace Church, about what was in the waiting Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the power of the revelation that comes through your word. I'm asking you today to help me get out of the way and that it wouldn't be my voice, but your voice that people would hear speaking directly into every situation in their lives. Lord, I pray that before we're done today, they would, they would feel the comfort of your spirit and the knowledge that you are with them and that you really are working on their behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. I like to think that I have a pretty good imagination, but I have a hard time picturing it. Moses had been watching, prayerfully, I'm sure, from the foot of Mount Sinai for six days, and the Bible says that God's presence on the mountain was a cloud, but that it looked like a devouring fire to those Israelites down below. And I'm sure Moses must have sat at times during those six days looking up at that bright, fiery glory on top of the mountain, knowing that at some point he was going to be going up higher. Maybe, maybe Moses worried a little. Maybe he was a little bit apprehensive. I know I would have been. After all, it's not every day that you meet the Almighty face to face. But Moses, Moses must have been excited too. Anxious, expectant for what was about to happen, even though he wasn't really sure what it might be. God had mentioned something to Moses about commandments, whatever those were, but all Moses really knew was that God had called them to this place at Mount Sinai to receive something. God was about to, to give them something, and it, it must be something amazing, and it, it must be something powerful, because God certainly was putting on a show up there on top of Mount Sinai. 
And sometime on the seventh day, I'm not really sure how it happened, maybe Moses heard this loud, booming voice that came from the clouds. And maybe he heard a voice that was quiet and still. Maybe he didn't hear anything at all. Maybe Moses just felt a tug in his heart. But however it came, sometime on the seventh day, God gave Moses a call. And he knew it was time to go up higher up the mountain by himself and meet with Yahweh, Jehovah, the Almighty, the I Am that I Am, Elohim. What an experience that must have been. And if Moses thought the fiery display that he had seen from the foot of the mountain was impressive, then what must he have thought as he neared the top, because now Moses is there, and he is experiencing God's glory up close, and God is speaking to him so plainly, yet so powerfully, in what had to be just a a torrent of information, because God demands, you know, sometimes God will demand things of you, I know we like to think that it's just it's going to come across as just the gentle, sweet, Jesus-y requests, but sometimes God makes demands, and he began to make demands for offerings of gold and, and silver and bronze and fine linen and, and colored yarn and ram skins and goat hair and anointing oil and incense and all manner of precious stones. And Moses must have listened in wide-eyed wonder as God detailed for him the instructions for building this gold-covered box with an atonement covering adorned with cherubim. And God tells Moses that this place, this mercy seat, is where I'm going to meet with my people. I don't know if Moses understood exactly the magnitude of what he was hearing at the time and all of the implications of the revelation that he was receiving. But if he did, I'm I'm sure his mind had to be on fire with anticipation and excitement because God was shaking up the status quo by doing something entirely new. Something they had never seen before. This wasn't something Moses could have even imagined possible. Something he he never would have thought of. Moses must have just been left reeling at the novelty and the amazing newness of this thing called the tabernacle. And God actually wants a physical dwelling place among his people. He wants to be close to us and among us. And on and on it goes for seven chapters. The courtyard, the brazen laver, the priestly garments, the establishment of the priesthood, the altar of incense, the anointing oil. This is a totally new approach to God. A radical opportunity, if you will. A pathway to God's presence and to mercy. And for 40 days, God speaks and Moses listens as he is the first human being to ever learn of God's plan to dwell among his people in this totally new and powerful way. 
And Moses must have thought, this is so exciting. How the people are going to rejoice and how, how excited and how much they're going to worship whenever they hear this. They're going to be so excited. God's doing something new. God's doing something, something great. This is unprecedented. This is a complete shift in the paradigm of how God has, has dealt with us in the past. This is going to change everything. Our lives are not going to be the same after this. The world is not going to be the same after this. What an incredible opportunity God's giving us. And God didn't give this opportunity to Abraham. And he didn't give it to Isaac. He didn't give it to Jacob. God didn't reveal this opportunity to Joseph and all of his dreams. Nobody saw this coming. And we've had to wait a really long time for it to finally get here. But now it's time and this incredible move of God is finally here and it is amazing. I can't wait to tell God's people about this incredible life-changing, amazing opportunity that God's giving us. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, meanwhile, back at the camp of the Israelites, back at the foot of the mountain, back in the real world where the regular people are living, not the super spiritual people like Moses, just the regular people. Back in the reality of day-to-day living, where moms and dads and kids are trying to figure things out and how to homeschool online and where to buy toilet paper when you need it. Back in the real world where employers are doing their best to make adjustments and take care of people and wondering what's next. Back in the real world where people are wondering how much longer they're going to be stuck in this holding pattern. Back in the daily grind where people are just just left waiting around the base of this mountain. Meanwhile, Exodus chapter 32 says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, and make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not. That's old King James right there for you. It means we don't know. We don't have a clue. We don't know where Moses is. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Well, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters. Bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow, everybody say tomorrow, 
I know you're sitting at home by yourself and you're in your PJs and it's weird, but, but say it. Everybody say Moses was up there for 40 days. Yeah, you're getting better. Look at your neighbor on the couch and tell him they made the golden calf on day 39. Uh-huh. Look at your other couch neighbor and tell him they gave up on day 39. See, they quit waiting on day 39. He said, tomorrow is a feast unto the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, the things that were supposed to be for God. They gave to this golden calf thing that they had created. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Israelites came to him. They said, look, Aaron, we, we don't know where Moses is. We don't have a clue what's become of him. There's no sign of him. Last we saw, Moses was this white-haired speck going up the side of that mountain, disappearing into that weird cloud fire stuff that's up there. It's been almost 40 days, Aaron. Nobody could survive that long up there in that stuff on that mountain. It's not like Moses was packing a Yeti whenever he went up there. He didn't take a lunchbox. Pastor Moses has probably starved himself to death up there on that mountain by himself by now. And speaking of the mountain, Aaron, have you looked at it lately? Have you taken a good long look at it? It's covered in some kind of crazy, fiery cloud thing, and it's been that way for almost 40 days. It looks exactly the same, exactly the way it did on day one. Whenever all of this started almost a month ago, Aaron, it looks exactly the same. Nothing's changed. It looks the same as it did yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. As a matter of fact, Aaron, we don't have any sign that anything is going to happen around here. We're all just sitting around here waiting. It's just a cloud and some fire, man. And sure, it looked impressive on the first day. And we were scared. We didn't know what it was. It really had our attention. But that, that was weeks ago. The news worn off. This is old hat now, Aaron. It's just sitting there, not doing anything. And Moses said that, that it was God and all of that kind of stuff. But now we're, we're, not, we're not too sure. So Aaron, since we don't know what's going on, and since we have no idea what's going to happen if we stay here or how much longer this is going to take, and since it doesn't look like God is going to do anything other than this weird fire and mountain stuff that we don't understand, since it doesn't look like anything's going to happen, and since there is no sign that this situation is going to change, then Aaron, it's time for us to take matters into our own hands and do things the way we used to do them. You know, the way we used to do back in Egypt. The way we learned from the Egyptians before God brought us out. See, they made images of their gods. Something you could see. Something you could touch. Something you could move when you wanted to. This new way, Aaron, this is this just not working. It's just a bunch of sitting around and, and waiting so let's, 
Let's go back. Do things the old way. Because anything is going to be better than just sitting around here waiting. You know, it really doesn't make sense. It's not logical to just keep sitting here waiting. When we don't have any kind of sign that God's going to move or that anything's going to change or that he was even in this thing to begin with. My dear, precious Grace Church live streamers, let me talk to you for just a little while. And let me give you some hope. And at the same time, challenge all of our spirits. I want to talk to you about the reality of what was waiting in their waiting. Do just a little bit of teaching for a few minutes about God's timing. See, it was, it was no accident that Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And number 40 shows up quite a bit in Scripture. 40 is one of God's numbers of completion, and it's often used in association with probation, trial, and testing. See, in Noah's time, God flooded the earth, come on, for 40 days and 40 nights. And then after the floodwaters had receded, Noah waited another 40 days before he opened the window of the ark. A simple overview of the life of Moses tells us that he, was in, in, he lived in Egypt for 40 years and then he tended sheep in Midian for 40 years and then he led the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. Then Moses sent spies out into the promised land to spy out the land and they were there for, you want to guess, uh-huh, 40 days. In the book of Judges, due to their disobedience, the nation of Israel was in captivity to the Philistines for 40 years. In 1 Samuel 17, Goliath stood across the valley of Elah and opposed the nation of Israel for 40 days. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days before he met with God. Well, let's go to the New Testament. When Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness before beginning his earthly ministry. And the time period between his resurrection and ascension was 40 days. The number 40 is all over Scripture. Be it 40 days, 40 days and nights, 40 weeks, 40 years. We see it repeated over and over again in Scripture. Watch me, though. I don't want you to get hung up on the number 40. There's nothing magical or, or mystical about the number 40 except for the fact that my body wanted to fall apart whenever I turned 40. That's about it. But in Scripture, in Scripture, the significance is found in the principle of what the number 40 signifies. The principle demonstrated by the number 40 is that God always has a set time, a time of testing, a season of struggle, a period of waiting. See, God has this schedule in mind for certain things that He wants to bring into our lives. And sometimes, no matter how much you want to, and no matter how much you try to, you just can't hurry God's schedule. Sometimes you can't influence His timetable. And in those times... Oh, listen to me, Grace Church. 
In those times, all you can do is wait. But just because you are in a holding pattern and waiting, that doesn't mean that God's waiting and that He's not working and setting things up. The entire time the rest of Israel was waiting at the foot of the mountain with no change, nothing different, just the same old, same old, day in, day out. The whole time they were waiting, God was preparing something for them that would completely change their world. But we don't like being delayed, do we? I placed an order on Amazon on Tuesday. They sent me an email on Thursday, to let me know that my order had shipped. Expect it to arrive on June 9th. I said, what? June 9th? I, I couldn't even do the math that quick. That's, that's a lot longer than my prime two days is supposed to take for what I... I don't like being delayed, Amazon. I almost lost my mind. We don't like waiting or feeling stuck. But what they thought of as being stuck and waiting and nothing happening was really God positioning them to receive this new amazing miracle that he had had in the works for a long, long time. See, so often when God wants to bring something new into our lives, he usually has to disrupt our normal first. Anybody had their normal disrupted? So like we so often do, the nation of Israel got frustrated with the disruption of their normal and gave up on waiting. And in their efforts to manufacture a God that they could manipulate to their pleasing, they came very close to aborting what God was working so hard to bring into their lives. Which was an opportunity to know Him in a completely new way. God was bringing an opportunity to them for a new type of relationship. God was bringing an opportunity to them for a new level of intimacy with Him. God was bringing an opportunity to them for a new level of understanding and bringing it literally right to their doorstep. But they almost missed it because they lost hope in the waiting. Grace Church, I know we're living in some strange times. And none of us really know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. But we've already seen how fast this thing can turn on a dime. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month. And I'm not here to be a naysayer and, and preach doom and gloom. But the simple fact of the matter is we're all doing a lot of waiting right now. And it seems like the whole world is in a holding pattern. I want you to listen to me. It is way too early for us to give up on what God is doing. I know where you're living. We're all living there right now. It's not just the coronavirus that we're dealing with. 
All of us have other mess that's going on. The mess of life doesn't stop because people are in quarantine. That messy situation in your life that was there before COVID-19 showed up is still there. And it looks the same today as it did yesterday and nothing appears to have changed. Your job situation is shakier than it's ever been. Your finances are, are uncertain. That loved one who's been lost and away from God from so long, it doesn't look like there's been any change in their life in spite of what's going on in this world. That broken relationship, that raw and wounded heart, those wounds are still fresh and nothing seems like it's changed and your path forward in life seems just as murky and just as cloudy as it ever was it doesn't look like God is doing anything and you've been trying to see through the fog like those Israelites from the foot of the mountain peering up just trying to get a glimpse and see through all of that fire and cloud and then to get a hold on what God was doing just wondering when God is going to break through and do just something your senses tell you nothing Everything looks the same, sounds the same, feels the same or worse than it was before. And your logic tells you, God's not going to show up today. He didn't show up yesterday. He didn't show up the day before that. It's probably best for you to just, just move on and try something different. Folks, let me say it again. Grace Church, I want to make myself plain. Don't you give up on God today. Don't give up on faith today. Don't give up on your miracle today. Don't give up on that dream that He gave you. Don't give up on the promise that He spoke to you. I know you're waiting. And I know it's frustrating. And we all have a tendency to get antsy and lose sight of our priorities in times of waiting. But God's got a timetable in mind. And He is not going to keep any of us waiting one minute longer than He has to. Believe it. You think God likes waiting? You didn't think about that, did you? You think God likes God is a God of motion. Two-thirds of his name is go. He told Abraham, get up and go to the land I'm going to show you. He told Moses, get up and go. Tell Pharaoh. God is a God of motion. He doesn't like waiting. He's not going to make you wait one second longer than necessary. But you better rest assured he's got a season for you planned out. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in to the temptation to quit on day 39 and go back to some old way that you used to have because there is an opportunity that is coming your way to see God, to know God, to interact with God that goes beyond anything you've ever experienced before. God's setting the stage. Oh, He's getting it all ready. He's getting all of the pieces in place and and He's about to remove the cloud. It's almost time and once God exposes what He's been up to, once He shows you what He's been preparing behind that cloud of glory, it is going to completely change your world. Just don't give up. Don't give up. 
Look, I don't, I don't have some kind of inside preacher track on God's timetable. He hasn't given me the, the, the down low on what he's planning to do. I don't know what his timetable is. But could it be that today is day 39 in his 40-day plan? If it was, how would it change how you approach him? What if tomorrow is day 39 in a 40-day plan? How would it change the way you approach God? How would it change your feelings about faith? Faith in God's already brought us this far. I just want to tell you one more time, don't quit, wait, hold out, stand firm, hold on for one more day, and we will see what God has planned and in store. I know it's a little weird, but maybe wherever you are right now, if you're feeling bold enough, you just say, I believe it. There's like four people, that's good. Maybe it's a little safer for you to type it in Facebook. Give me a little Facebook shout out and give me some of those fire emoticons. Tell me that you believe it. Landing gear's out. I'm going to ask, uh, ask our musicians to come back play something slow and sweet and make me sound spiritual. This past week, I was reminded of something that I had forgotten about. And it fits so perfectly with what I believe God had given me to preach. Thursday, August 5th of 2010 marked the beginning of an event that was followed by the news media and literally millions of people around the world. There was a cave-in at the San Jose Copper Mine in northern Chile that left 33 miners trapped 2,300 feet beneath the surface over what would become a 69-day ordeal and rescue effort. For the first 17 days, 17 days, no one on the surface had much hope that the miners were even still alive. They were basically looking at everything they could as a recovery effort. But finally, on August 22nd, rescuers heard the sound of wrenches banging on one of the exploratory drills and withdrew that drill to find a note held in a plastic bag taped to the end of the drill bit that said, all 33 of us are fine in the shelter. With 33 lives now hanging in the balance, a dozen companies from around the world, including engineers from NASA, launched into an all-out effort to save these 33 men in an operation that would eventually wind up taking almost another two months. It's a fascinating story. It's full of, of setbacks and breakthroughs and everyday heroes. And finally, on October 13th, the last trapped miner was pulled to safety. His name was Luis Urzua. He was a 54-year-old shift foreman whose first words after reaching the surface were to tell the mining company president, as promised, sir, I have delivered these men back to you safe and alive. 
as not a single life was lost. The details of the reality that these 33 men faced and what they did in order to survive eventually came out over the following weeks in news articles, a book, and an eventual movie. Trapped. Stuck. Locked into a holding pattern. These 33 men had their lives placed on hold for 69 days. Experts were amazed at their ingenuity and their fortitude and their work ethic because these these men didn't just sit around in the dark complaining. They didn't just sit around talking about how dark it was in the mine and how hot it was and how bad their situation was. They didn't just sit on their hands and wait helplessly for days for someone to finally come along and rescue them. Quite the contrary. These men, immediately after the cave-in, went to action. They took stock of what supplies they had, food, water. They mapped out exactly where they were in the mine and where the collapses were. They planned as best they could to ride out what they knew might be a very long wait to the point that they even organized a daily work schedule using the headlights from some of the mining trucks to simulate day and nighttime, and the men worked and slept in shifts. In short, Nexters, if you're listening today, you know us coming. In short, these men did what they could, where they were, with what they had. They helped each other. They encouraged each other. The psychologists and trauma experts later agreed that it was the men's approach to actively waiting that enabled them to hold on to hope in the darkest times of their ordeal. And when that first drill bit finally broke through, they were ready. Mentally, physically, emotionally, and even spiritually, these men were ready to assist those on the surface with their own rescue. Because of careful rationing of resources, they had strength. They had light to see. They had detailed maps prepared. And they had a list of what they needed most and who was the most critical among them. They didn't know when it would happen. They didn't know when it would happen. But they were ready for the breakthrough when it finally came. When the opportunity finally presented itself, they were prepared to make the most of it. Grace Church, I want you, to, want you to hear me. There's an opportunity in your waiting today. And when your breakthrough finally comes, will you be ready? Will you be able to make the most of the opportunity that God is sending your way? Is your heart ready? Is your spirit ready? Have you taken stock of where you are? 
and what you have and what you need. Are you going to be better on the other side of this waiting than you were before you went in? Coop, you just don't know what we're dealing with. You don't know how hard things are getting in the middle of all of this waiting and uncertainty. And you might be right. It's the same storm, but we are in very different boats. Maybe I don't know. But you think God doesn't know? You think God doesn't know the agony of waiting? He waited for thousands of years to bring the tabernacle plan to his people. Then he waited almost another 1,500 years to robe himself in flesh and come as our Messiah. And he's still waiting for the day whenever he can finally call his people home and to be with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb and finally experience the heavenly home that he has been preparing. God knows exactly how it feels to wait. Which might explain why he's so generously merciful with those who fail during the wait. Israel didn't pay the full price for their failure with the golden calf. Abraham didn't lose out completely in his failure of waiting with Hagar and Ishmael. Even the disciples who went back to fishing after Christ's crucifixion, they weren't condemned. Quite the contrary, Jesus went looking for them. So if you're listening to me today right there where you are, if you failed somehow in the waiting, not only does God know how you feel, but He's ready and, and willing to welcome you back into His plan. I know it's different whenever you're at home. I know you, you can't gather here around the front of, these al- uh, front of this altar while they, they sing, and, and I can't come down and pray for you. But as they sing, I can pray for you right now where you are. Maybe God's talking to you today through this sermon. Maybe He's really ministered to you. Maybe it it helps to know that God really does know where you are. I just want to encourage you right there where you are. Maybe you need to stand up. Maybe you need to kneel down. But I want you to begin to open your heart to the Spirit of God. He knows exactly how it feels to wait. He knows exactly where you are. And He's not going to leave you in that place one second longer than He needs to, but there's a plan. There's a divine schedule. There's a holy timetable that's been set. And however long He's got to keep you there, I want you to know He's going to give you the strength to endure it. Oh, there's an opportunity available to you in your waiting. There's an opportunity to draw closer to Him. There's an opportunity to know Him in a way that you haven't before. There's an opportunity for intimacy. Dare I say it, but there's an opportunity for you to get better in the middle of all of this waiting. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. We don't know when the turn's going to come, but we know it's going to happen. God, give them strength. God, in the middle of their waiting, I pray that your spirit would strengthen. In the middle of their waiting, I pray that your spirit would comfort. God, in the middle of their waiting, I pray that you would allow them to feel your presence. Oh, let's all pray. 
Let's seek the face of God however long we can, however long this atmosphere can last. Let's reach out and seek His face.